we're having a giveaway. I want to hear from you to find out what content you want to hear. So email me at brad at physiciansguidetodoctoring.com with a suggestion for a topic you'd like covered or a guest you'd want to hear on the show. And you'll be entered into a lottery for a PGD Yeti Tumblr. I'll do the drawing in two weeks and announce the winner in our newsletter. So you have until two weeks from when you hear this, from when this airs, to enter. May the most loyal listener win. This show is sponsored by Set for Life Insurance, the ultimate client experience in the insurance industry. Are you looking for the perfect insurance coverage that suits your needs? Founded in 1993 by President Jamie K. Fleischner, Set for Life Insurance specializes in individual life, disability, and long-term care insurance. As brokers, they represent numerous companies in the industry, ensuring that their clients get the best products at the most cost-effective rate. What sets Set for Life Insurance apart? You'll enjoy special discounts, priority underwriting handling, and even exceptions in the underwriting process. So why wait? Contact Set for Life Insurance today and let them be your insurance partner for life. Visit their website at setforlifeinsurance.com or call them at 1-888-553-3559. On today's episode, we talk about the struggles and existential crises of the mid-career physician and stuff we never heard from those who trained us. If you're struggling with this, you are not alone out there. Hey, this is Brad Block, host of The Physician's Guide to Doctoring. This is a personal and professional development podcast for physicians where we have experts on the show that try to teach us everything we should have been learning while we were memorizing Krebs cycle. Coben Soyberg, thanks so much for coming on the podcast. Thank you so much for having me, Brad. So this is a, a super special episode because for the listeners, Coben is going to be guest hosting on the show. He's going to be interviewing people himself and, and actually being, being a host. So, Coben, why don't you introduce yourself to the audience? Yeah, thanks so much, Brad. <clears throat> so, I'm Coben Solberg. I'm a private practice anesthesiologist out in Bend, Oregon. Brad and I have been talking for a little bit. Just, I have a little bit of an entrepreneurial spirit as well. I took some time off during medical school and went and got a law degree. And in the last couple of years, I've opened a financial planning practice for physicians as well. So, I've been following Brad for a while and finally reached out. And turns out? A match was made. A match was I'm made. So, I'm so glad. I'm so yeah, glad he reached out. So, and so when we were talking, we started, you know, exploring what we wanted from our lives and what we wanted from our careers and ended up being on the same page of so much stuff. So that's what we're going to be talking about today. So what are you currently, and get as big as you want and as general sure. as you want with this question, but where are you currently struggling in your career? Yeah, that's a big question. It's we spent a lot of time talking about this the other day, and it, for me, it's actually reassuring to hear it from other physicians. But I think the biggest issue for me is probably boredom and monotony, where I think especially in anesthesia, at least in terms of how I practice day to day, I'm doing the same thing more or less than I learned in residency. There might be little tweaks here and there. I might learn some a new block, or we. I think we've had two new drugs come to market in the last 15 years. But otherwise, the only thing that's different is which operating room I'm in, right? So on the clinical side of things, it gets pretty repetitive. And no, but Copen, every patient's different. Every patient, right? That's what we're, that's what we're told. And that's how we're supposed to approach it, right? Like 
every patient's special and every patient's different. Every patient is special. I mean, certainly a lot of truth that each patient is unique, but you know, in terms of the medicine, there's only so many ways you can mix those, mix those ingredients together, right? There's only so many pages in that cookbook. Same. I'm, and I'm having the same, I'm having the same problem. Like I'm not in an academic center where I'm pushing the envelope of what can be done in otolaryngology. Like they came out with this Inspire device, which is a pacemaker for sleep yeah. apnea. And I don't do that. The fact tunneling into the chest just yeah. to put in a lead terrifies me. So I was like, no, thank you. Plus I don't do open neck surgery anymore. So in order to, to implant, that's what you need to be comfortable with. So that's not what I'm doing. I'm doing septums, sinus surgery. I do a lot of peds, tubes, tonsils, adenoids, snoring, sleep apnea, nosebleeds, hearing loss, tons of earwax, like a very short list. And even the complaints where I'm like baffled by it, like globus, people come in with globus and it's not reflux. They just have like a lump. It's the same frustrating conversations over and over. And yes, while every patient is unique and they come in with their own different psychosocial circumstances, if I'm going to be doing an adenoidectomy on that four-year-old, it's going right. to be the 500th adenoidectomy on a four-year-old exactly. for the same indication. It's the same conversations. So it's just, it's not as stimulating. And actually I had an interview a little while ago with John Schneider, who's an otolaryngologist at, at Wash U, where he said like, we developed these heuristics. He's like, you, when we were residents, yeah, we'd have to like figure out each figure individual out. patient. Right. But now when we walk into a room, like I see a mouth breathing four-year-old, I'm like, does he or doesn't he not need ear tubes? Because yeah. I already know he's going to need his tonsils and his adenoid valve. So yeah. like just from that, facial expression and the noise coming from the breathing. So, you know, we develop these heuristics that help us make these decisions quickly, but that takes, then it's not as it becomes monotonous. Yeah. And I think my sense is for many physicians, that's probably true. And I, I came from academics prior to doing private practice and we, we definitely did some bigger cases that were challenging in different ways. I used to be on the liver transplant team. But even that case, like I knew what I'd be doing and I knew more or less how I'd be approaching those patients, depending on what happened. So even something like that, not necessarily gets repetitive, but you already have a plan in place. And so you're just not using your brain in the same way. You're not growing in the same way that I think friends do in other careers in other industry. Exactly. Exactly. Like I think about one of my friends who's in banking and he recently became the managing director and. He's probably going to be in that position for a few years before he makes the next, gets the next promotion or make right. the lateral move to a different company. Like they get promoted and their responsibilities and their knowledge base changes and what's required from each position. And in medicine, when I finished residency and I walked into my practice, I was like, so these are my two exam rooms, huh? This is where I'm going to be for the next 30, 40 years yeah. after transitioning every four or five because college, medical school, residency. Now it's just like, really, it was daunting. And it was, it, the, that being said, at the beginning, those first few years, you really learn a ton. For sure. And this is when the, now is when the hedonic adaptation sets in and it just, it's not as stimulating as it once was. I just don't, I mean, I don't recall anyone talking about this before. I really don't. When I was looking at medicine as a career, I don't remember any of the physicians I talked to mentioning this or like that four-year itch you talk about, right? Like you're so used to changing 
um, what you're doing every four years for a good decade and a half. And then all of a sudden you're in practice and it's the same. But I think you and I are close in terms of when you're graduate, graduated residency. And I definitely see it amongst our cohort a lot where there's just this monotony or boredom. And some people like in my own group, we have people who do a lot of leadership and are doing different roles in the hospital, right? They're like chairing a board or chairing a committee. And that can be interesting, but the problem with that kind of stuff is, I mean, I don't know what your experience has been with this, but I don't find as physicians, we're well supported in those roles. Most of the time we're seeing patients or in the operating room and we don't have time to respond to all these emails. We don't have time to like put a presentation together, nor are we that good at it. So it's like you're doing this thing and you're frustrated by that. I would push back and say that we're not that good at it because we haven't been asked to do it, not because yeah. we can't do it. Sure. I think this is all learnable stuff. I think this is all learnable stuff. It's just a question of whether you're going to be compensated for it. And if you're not compensated for it at the rate at which you're billing for practicing medicine, then, you know, that, that I think is a problem. They might not have the capacity or the desire to do it because they have enough people that are willing to do it without compensating them for it. I haven't had that experience because I'm in private practice and my practice is humongous. We have 250 physicians. We own the practice. And so the doctors that that are on the elected board, like they, you know, they're compensated, not much, but, you know, they're supported because they're us. Yeah. Right. Yeah. yeah, like yeah. That makes it's, sense. They're running our practice as opposed to us being employees hoping to make this hospital that we're working for or multi-specialty group that we're working for a, a better place, hoping to make our voices heard, right? The problem is we don't run the show. Right. The physicians don't, we don't run the show. If we own the hospital, it would be a different story, but we don't. Yeah. No, it's a big deal. It's a really big deal. I've seen, there's a big group in, in my neck of the woods that just lost a big contract and Right. That's happened with anesthesia. It's happened with some of the orthopedic surgeons. It's, I mean, it's really depressing and saddening to watch when we're yeah. not the ones making the decisions. No. And we don't have the leverage. Like even no. a big group like mine, we're peanuts compared to these huge hospital systems in, right. in the area. Yeah. Yeah. You're nothing. But to your point, like this is how you avoid that monotony as you branch out into different ways, right? You look at a leadership position within the hospital, that's a way to, it needs to be, it needs to take away from clinical time though. It can't just be an addition to clinical time. It needs to be like four days a week of clinical time and one day of leadership. Otherwise I feel like you're going to, you're going to burn yourself out unless you know that it's a stepping stone to something else. Like, oh, I just need to do this for a little while and then I'll be the CMO. Like, yeah. But I mean, for me, what I started doing, I started looking into expert witness work, which brings in a good compensation in order to be able to pull back on clinical hours. I haven't devoted the time to that. So that business hasn't grown. For those who do listen to some of my old episodes and you'll hear lots of ways that you can do it that I ended up not pursuing. Although I, I really want to. I've just got too many irons in the fire right now. And the other thing is the podcast. I'm trying to, I'm trying to grow that as a business. So that's what I'm doing. So what are you doing in in order to try and Get, get more career satisfaction. 
Yeah. I mean, I love that question. It's funny because like, obviously for me, doing something like expert witness is a pretty natural step, right? With the legal background. And I do that. It sounds probably what you do, like a couple cases a year, maybe. And I really, I love working with those attorneys and the cases are always really fascinating and they're always, there always is a lot to learn. And the lawyers that I work with are thrilled to work with us and they're really happy to get that expertise. So that has been something that's enjoy, been enjoyable. And as I mentioned at the start, a couple of years ago, I opened my own financial planning firm. So that took a little bit of time. I had been doing, this was back when I was in academics, but I quickly realized how bad the residents were with money and how badly they wanted more information. They really wanted to figure it out. And fortunately at the time, there was a certified financial planner who worked at the university and we found each other and started doing lectures for my anesthesia resident. And they, this was stuff after hours and like a third to a half of the residents would show up in their own time because they were so committed to learning about this. And so that sort of quickly became my teaching that I would do in the operating room. Um, and it wasn't unusual that the surgeons would pop their heads over and be like, what are you talking about? So the CFP encouraged me to think about doing it because clearly other physicians enjoyed talking to me and trusted me. And with my background in medicine and law, I sort of had a leg up anyway. And so at the beginning of the pandemic, took some of the qualifying exams and then got registered in Oregon and hung up my shingle. And it's been, it's a ton of fun. It's a ton of fun because I get to I'm, I'm having fun conversations like this with my colleagues. I talk to them about what their highest values and purpose are. And I also let them in, especially when I'm talking to other anesthesiologists, I'm like, what if you gave away all your call or, or what if you only worked part-time or what if you gave away all your weekends? And they're like, you can do that. Yeah, you can do that. So, but yeah, that's been something fun and something, right. It's. Going into business, it's like you never know what the outcome is. And so you're kind of figuring it out on the fly. Um, and you just keep putting one step in front of the other. And it's a lot of fun and it's scary at times and frustrating at times. Is your anesthesia group like, stop telling people that they don't have to work? We stop telling them they don't have to work nights. It, it's been an interesting shift because. I saw that coming in academics. A lot of people were working part, almost everyone was working part-time. And I've been, I've been trying to sort of let our private practice group know, like, this is just what people are expecting. They don't want to work the same crazy hours that we were. So we're, we just need to hire more people so everyone can kind of work the amount that they want. Thankfully, there's always a lot of young guys who have a lot of student loan debt. So they always want to pick up. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Easier to do when you're younger, right? Yeah. Oh you're, my God. You got more energy. You're hungrier. You got to pay those yeah. high debts. But then mid-career like us, we're like, yeah, no. Time. It's all about time, that. right? That's probably your most precious asset right now is your time and attention. So why do you think the general, like you were saying earlier, like nobody talked to us about this mid-career slump, for lack of a better term. Like I never heard Anyone complaining about it when I was training, Never. I didn't know nothing. And for the older generation, the ones that retire are retiring or retired. You can't get them out of the hospital. Yeah. You cannot get them out. of. They are sitting in the doctor's lounge, bothering people like, cause they have nothing else. 
Like it's almost as if they have no identity outside. I mean, there aren't that many of them, but there are a few, right? Yeah. So, so what do you think the difference is between them and us that they don't want to leave? And we're like, oh, I need something different. I mean, I think you sort of hit on it, right? I really do think for many of that generation ahead of us, being a physician was their entire identity. And they didn't see any other path than to be at the hospital all the time, right? Like if you had to be there operating all night, you were operating all night. And if that meant that you never saw your kids, if that meant that you never saw your spouse, like that was just, it was almost like they fully bought that in that you have to sacrifice your entire being in order to be a great physician. And I, I think, I don't know whether it's because there's enough people writing online. I don't know if there's like things like your great podcast, people see other options that they didn't see even 10 years ago. Right. Um, like if you would have told me 10 years ago, like I could have seen doing expert witness stuff for sure. But if you told me like, I'd be getting into finance, be like, what are you even talking about? Like that wouldn't have even been on my radar. And so, and I think more and more people, not that they want balance, but they want to maintain their sense of um, personhood and identity outside of the hospital. And this, I mean, unfortunately the cynic in me, Brad, thinks a lot of it is just, it's become a lot less fun and a lot more challenging to be a physician. I mean, I'm sure you had the same struggles we all had during COVID. It was like, you didn't have enough staff. You couldn't get in the operating room. Your patients were pissed. Patients were angry, like, like physically abusive. Like it just, and there's this constant pressure with the payers and insurance companies. You're trying to do more with less. And so I think at some point people are like, I'm willing to give this much, whatever that is, but I'm still going to protect myself and I'm going to protect my family. And that's it. I think those are all excellent points. All excellent points. Like the fact that they really bought into the, this is your identity and you are, and then you rationalize, you can rationalize all your choices from therein. And also they were practicing in a more paternalistic age of medicine where I'm finding the fact that I have to manage everyone's psychosocial expectations right. on top of the medicine, taxing. Like it's a lot more work and it would be a lot less work if I could just be like, listen, this is it. Take this it or leave it. <laughs> like you're getting a, yeah, your tonsils out. I can do it two months from now. It's the best I can do. It's going to hurt. And like the fact that I, I, but like the fact that I genuinely care about, like I'm taking all this on because I care about all of the stuff that's going on in my patients' lives on top of just the medicine. I'm not, sure. I, it sounds like I'm complaining about it. I mean, it kind of am, but I'm also like, I'm doing it because it's the right thing to do because that's what I want to do. I want to do right by my patients, but in doing so, I find it more draining than I think oh. it, it otherwise would be. And interestingly, my previous therapist, I'm between therapists right now for anyone out there who's, and <laughs> told me that like, I should leave each visit 
just the same as when I walked in the room. Like it should not be emotionally taxing for me. It should not be physically taxing for me. And it is. I I don't know. I don't know how to not make it. But he also said, once you realize that there is a problem, it is your responsibility to fix it. So I left before he gave me the tools to do that. But maybe that would help. Maybe that would help. So, so let's say we do scale back, right? Let's say we do manage to go halftime and my real estate, like you said, like if I ever, if 10 years ago, I ever thought that I would be a financial advisor, I was like, it's like me, I've, I've had, I've got like a couple real estate investments. If 10 years ago, me was like, yeah, you'd be investing in real estate. I'd be like, what did you attend a lecture in Salon C of the Marriott with some dude that's like, you can have a Lamborghini too. I'd be like, that's nuts that you're doing that. But so I get that. But if we're finding these ways to scale back, are we still doctors? Like the doctor identity has really been drilled into it and we've embraced it too. Part of my identity. If you're not practicing law, are you a lawyer? If we're not practicing medicine, are we still doctors? And should that matter? It's it's interesting because I think that mindset I mean, I certainly feel it and I come up against it all the time. My goal in the next couple of years is to transition to basically PRN anesthesia and be doing the financial planning. But I keep running into walls and I think a lot of it, I've talked to coaches and therapists about this. I think a lot of it is around that identity piece. And for me, medicine was a way out, like a tough childhood with not a lot of money. And so... Being a doctor was like financial security for me. So stepping away from that does seem hard. I have a really good friend who she retired. Wait, but you're a financial advisor too. So how is the financial security piece preventing you from, if you know what, that you would be financially secure? I know, isn't it? Well, no, but like, that's what's so fun about the finance part is security is never, I promise you this, Brad, security is never a number. It's all a feeling, right? And once you realize that, you're like, oh, I can feel okay about my money right now. Like it's, I think one thing, going back to our training, right? Like you are always on this treadmill of working towards something else, right? Like in pre-med, you're doing all this work to get into med school. And the second you get into med school, you're like figuring everything out to take boards and to go to residency. Then residency, you're looking for a job and you're never present. You're always And there's a good term for it, right? It's called conditional living. When I do X, then I'll be happy, right? Like when I get into med school, then I'll be happy. How'd that work for us? Yeah, I've heard it called the arrival fallacy. Yeah, exactly. Like when I arrive there, everything will be okay. Yeah. And then you realize you actually have the power to change that today. And so like the thing is, I know we have enough and that's been my own thing I've been working on. So that's been a lot of fun. But I think part of it is crafting. I think what was hard for the older generation is they lost, they lost their friends. They lost, many of them lost their kids and their spouses, unfortunately. They lost their hobbies. And so I try and be really attentive and really present to those things in my life that bring me joy and bring me happiness and make sure I spend enough time doing those things so that I know that I did that. I'm not retiring from anything. I'm like creating this life where I get to do a little bit of this and a little bit of that. And I love getting up every single day. I'm not, trust me, I'm nowhere near that point yet, but I feel like I'm 
taking steps to get there. And part of what I like to do is help other physicians do the same thing, right? Like it's not like blowing up your whole life, like leaving your family, leaving your job as a physician and like running off to Costa Rica. It can just be as simple as like working less and seeing your family more. Right? It's interesting. You said you talked to some of your colleagues and you're like, you don't have to take call anymore. You don't have to do nights anymore. You don't have to do weekends anymore. And this gets back to a conversation I had a couple of months ago with Jordan Grummet, Doc G, this financial advisor guru, where, you know, financial independence could doesn't necessarily mean not practicing medicine anymore. Right. It could mean practicing part-time yeah. or practicing full-time and just not doing weekends and nights anymore. Yeah. It, it, it could be, if you still enjoy it, just do it less, do it on your terms. And then you are, even though you still need the money from the job in order to make ends meet, but you're doing it on your terms. So you're, you are in some definition financially independent. Well, doesn't that, like, doesn't that feel better, right? Where you get a little more of that control over how you spend your time. Right. And yeah, it's been, for me, we talked about this on a couple of weeks ago. Like we, my wife and I have an almost two-year-old at home and man, I mean, all you parents out there know how quickly that changes everything, but I think at in the day, I want to be home, putting my kid to sleep, having dinner with him. I want to be around when he gets up in the morning. And so I've made conscious choices to make less money and work less. And it's, and it, it's almost like it wasn't even a choice, right? Like once I knew like, that's what I needed to do. Like it just, I made it happen and yeah. we didn't miss the money for a second. Yeah. After my second one was born, I told my wife, I'm going to go back to working weekends as soon as he's sleeping through the night. He is five and a half and I've not gone back to working weekends yet. <laughs> he is almost sleeping through the night oh, most of the time. No, I mean, no. Yeah. I'm half joking about that. But, exactly. but yeah, it was more like, yeah, at six months old, he was sleep trained and he was sleeping through the night. And I was like, what the heck? Why am I? Yeah. And it became that stage in my life. It became my wife and him. He was six months old. They were, it was the two of them had their relationship that I was not a part of, yeah. but, but we had an older one. And so I would just take him out. It was just me and him all weekend hanging out. And it was, and it was awesome. And yeah. I would never, there's no price on that. There's no, no price on that. So now one, one of my partners works a lot of weekends and he's like, my kids are teenagers. They're like, they want nothing to do with me. Yeah. They have their stuff. And I go watch all of their games and all of their sports and all of their recitals. But like Saturday morning, they're sleeping in or they're driving their friend's house. Like I am not. So, so he works Saturdays now because that part, that stage of his life is over. So yeah, those, I think, yes, those values that what is important. And I think you were getting at it earlier is figuring out what's important to you so that you can be intentional about how you spend your time and spend your money and don't let those Absolutely. decisions be made by someone else. I love. you I have mean, to figure that out first. I love that. I mean, I love that use of intentional, Brad, because that, that's everything, right? And yeah, I think part of the challenge is we, as physicians, we're so, people say, hey, can you do this add-on case? Hey, someone broke their leg, so whatever. And you're like, sure, of course. We are always taking care of other people. And it's been, for most people, it's been years, if not decades, since they've 
truly sat down and asked themselves, what do you want and what's important to you? And it's, it can be kind of scary and kind of painful. And a lot of people, I think, struggle with this and don't even know how to start. So they just go back to what we do know, which is more, work more, earn more, do more, keep yourself busy so you don't have to sit in that uncomfortable place and figure out, like, I'm sure your values, I'm sure we share a lot of the same stuff, right? With family and other things, but we do it a little differently. And that's like, that's what makes your life. And being in like, one of the metrics I like to use, Brad, is regret. Like when I have a decision, I'm like, what would I regret more not trying? And it's usually pretty clear actually, because I want to get to the end of my life and have very little regret. And it's almost always, anytime I've made a big decision in my life, whether that was getting married, whether I was switching jobs and moving, whether it was having a baby, most of the time I regret not doing it sooner. Like sitting around on my thumbs, like, I think this is one of the issues with docs is we overanalyze everything. We always want more information. It's our way to like stall, right? Instead of making a decision, right? Like with with doing the podcast, like you could probably figure out like 20 different microphones you needed and like 20 different people to do the editing. At some point, you just have to make a decision and do it. But yeah. Yeah. The analysis paralysis. Ab absolutely. Yeah. Because we want everything perfect because if perfect. you didn't, people could get hurt. People get hurt. Or for that part of our lives, but in the other part of our lives, yeah, it's messy and you cannot have complete information. And actually, even in medicine, you mean like, medicine. we operate in the gray zone. That's All what we time. do. We said in another podcast is this is what we do. We do not have complete information. You cannot predict the future and you just prepare for it the best you can. But I like that. Not it's not it's still measure twice, cut once. Yeah. But not measure 15 times. Not measure 15 times. Once. Just measure just twice. Twice, you got it. Enough thinking, act, do. Yeah. Someone, I was listening to Carl Richards, who I love. He's He was the sketch guy in the New York Times. He's a financial planner and he loves to ski and bike and he lives out in Utah. So I love him. And, but he talks about this. He's like, for a lot of these decisions, you can't figure out where you're going until you take that next step. Like you can't even see what the path is you have to take the next step. And it seems scary at first, but it, I, I really do think it's one of those skills that you build by just doing it more and practicing. I have to say, when you talk about your work as a financial planner, it is not what I think about what financial planners do, right? When I think about financial planners, I think about, do you have the right disability insurance? Where is your money invested? Are you putting your money into your kids' 529s and your 401k and a cash balance plan? And are you picking stocks or are you doing index funds? And like, that's what, but that's not what you're talking about well, on I'm this the, show. What you're talking about is like figuring out how to, how to do it based on what's important to you. Well, I mean, thank you for saying that because it's one of the fun things about coming to finance out of medicine and law is I like, I wasn't trained in all these methods, like what you just talked about, right? Like we, it's not that I don't talk about the money piece we do, but it's not the central thing that we talk about at all because all of those things, right? Like whether you have disability insurance or like if you're saving for your kid, like none of that matters if you don't know where you're going and if you don't know what your purpose and your values are, like 
it doesn't matter if you have $10 million in the bank because you're still going to be miserable and you're not going to know what to do with your life. And so a lot of it is the behavioral part of it and some of that psychosocial stuff that you talked about. And it's, it's funny because I think a lot of the physicians that I work with, they're like, I think they have that same impression, right? Like, we're just going to talk about like where we put our money and should I do index funds or should I, we do like whatever. And like people have already actually figured out most of that stuff. And it's much more interesting to dive into how can I help you live your biggest life? And what does that look like? Like, that's my job. And that's a blast. It's so much fun. That sounds like a fun conversation to have. It is. That, I mean, like to see the light bulb go off yeah. on all of the possibilities that life can bring to someone. That, that sounds amazing. Yeah. It's like I'm almost like it's like I'm the permission grantor, right? Like how fun yeah. is that? <laughs> yes. You can have candy. Yes. You yeah. And cookies. Well, and actually sprinkle the candy on the cookies. You can have that too. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, so one of my first clients, they... You know, they were saving for a house, but what they really wanted was a Mercedes Sprinter camper van. And it was like, you're doing everything else right. Like you guys have, you have the money to pay for it, get the van. And they're so excited about it. They take their kids everywhere. We were just camping this past weekend with them at a lake and it's life-changing for them because it allows them to do the things that they love with their family. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I, I'm a big fan of don't spend your money on stuff, spend your money on experiences. And yes, a Mercedes camper van is stuff, but it facilitates the experience. Facilitates like you, you need to yeah. like, like you can't yeah. do the things. It's not like you're spending on a, like a Mercedes coupe. Yeah. That you can't fit anyone in and it's right. just going to guzzle gas. Yeah. I, oh, that's amazing. That's Spark. amazing. So one more question before we go. Yeah. Right. And that is if you do end up scaling back mm -hmm. and practicing anesthesia less and financial planning more and even phase out of anesthesia completely. Let's say okay. that happens in the next couple of years. Yeah. Unclear if that's your plan, right? But let's say it does. Do you feel like you owe anything to the healthcare system, to the public at large for taking a spot in anesthesia, for taking a spot in medical school that could have gone to someone else? No. I mean, that, that's like a hard no. Brad, I think all of us have like a unique thing that we can bring into the world based on our unique DNA and our unique upbringing and experiences. And I really do believe each one of us, like if all of us were doing that thing and kind of shining, how amazing this world would be. And so I don't feel, I, it's funny that we even have that discussion because like I went to law school too, right? And I don't, that, first of all, that's never even a conversation amongst lawyers, right? Because so many of them leave the profession. So like, it's never a conversation of like, why are you practicing law? You took a seat from someone else who wanted to go work and prosecute someone and work in a court. But nobody said, nobody said the world needs more lawyers. Right? Nobody, nobody said that. Yeah. So it's, no. And the thing that I want docs who are still in love with the profession and love going to work, whether that's 20 hours a week or 80 hours a week, right? I want people who love the profession and I want them to give what they're capable of giving full stop. Yeah. That, I think that, that notion is an old notion from the 
previous generation and it needs to die because it's really, it's harmful for lots of people, right? Like women have been taking the brunt of this for years, for decades, because they want to be home with their family. Excellent point. And it's funny because as a male physician, people are like, you want to be home with your kids? Almost surprised. And they're like, that's so great. Like, I don't get grief from it, right? Like women do, yeah. which is cra- like, that's a whole nother story. But yeah, I want people who are committed and that when, here's the way I really think about Brad. If you are living the fullest version of yourself outside the hospital, you're going to show up and be an amazing physician. If you're sort of shirking your responsibility as a dad and a husband or a partner, you're going to show up and be worried about all that stuff. And you're going to be a crappy doctor. Right? So. Yeah. I just think of like my program director looking at me and like shaking his head. Sure. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like, or my, my department chairman, like, you know, being like dis, dis like I didn't go on to academics. I'm not doing yeah. research. I'm not doing groundbreaking surgery yeah. and just like not even say anything, just like shaking his head. No, like that. Yeah. Like I'm, I regret that we took you into the program. Like that, that it's, I'm totally projecting. Yeah. I'm totally projecting. Cause I'm sure that wherever he is, if I happen to pass his mind for a moment, yeah. I'm sure he's like happy that I'm like enjoying my life and practicing good medicine and yeah. like, but yeah, but that, I guess that's my own insecurity. I just, I just figured that out in this yeah. mini therapy session. We You're just welcome. said, thank you. You're welcome. That it's just me projecting my own insecurity about myself and just giving it a different manifestation. So you're, Yes. Okay. We got past that. Thank you. So yes, I 100% agree. If we need more doctors, we should be training more doctors. Yeah. We can train more doctors. There's capacity out there. We know how to do it. You can open more medical schools, train more people. There are plenty of patients out there to learn from and plenty of excellent doctors to train them. So yes, it's not on us to perpetuate that. Yeah. So awesome. Okay. Coben, always fun, always fun fun talking to you. So where can people find you online? If they want to find you, if they're looking for a financial planner. Sure. Where do we find you? We'll put this in the show notes as well. My firm is called Greeley Wealth Management, named after one of my favorite ski runs at Alta, Utah. And you can email me at coban at greeleywealth.com. And we'll put phone number and all that stuff up there. But that's the easiest place to find me. You can sign up for my email. You'll get a weekly email that just, it's more of a conversation about this. It's not like what's happening in the market. It's like, how are you doing? And like checking in with people. So it's a lot more fun that way. Yeah. And I'm always happy to talk to other physicians about this stuff because it's, it really lights me up. So amazing. Amazing. Well, I look forward to hearing your episodes when you've got some interesting people to, to interview and I look forward to speaking again too. Awesome. Thanks, Thanks so much, Brad. Thanks for your time tonight. No matter what your insurance needs are, Set for Life Insurance has you covered. They're a nationally recognized leader in disability, life, and long-term care insurance, serving clients across all 50 states. Their dedicated team specializes in assisting medical residents, physicians, dentists, business owners, and other high-income professionals. Setforlifeinsurance.com or call them at 1-888-553-3559. Thanks for listening. I have a favor to ask. You listened to the episode until the end, which means you either fell asleep or you really liked the episode. So please share it or like it or comment on a social media post or write us a five-star review, something. It would really help me out. 
And maybe what you learned from this episode can help someone else too. The views expressed in this episode are those of the interviewer and interviewee and don't represent the views of their employer or even their significant other. Even though the magic of podcasting make it sound like I'm talking directly to you, this is not a doctor-patient relationship and this is not medical advice or financial advice or really any advice. Thank us again for listening to the Physician's Guide to Doctoring.